Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Cynthia Wilson, the Worship Executive and Director of Liturgical Resources. I'm Derek Weber, the Director of Preaching Ministries. And I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, the Director of Music Ministries. And together, we hope to discuss how to plan worship using the Common Lectionary while creating worship series that are engaging, that are relevant and adaptable for your own particular settings. Now, this podcast was developed to discuss and to share ways to plan worship using the Common Lectionary while creating worship series. Today's episode is going to be a conversation with the Reverend John Thornburg from Dallas, Texas. John brings 38 years of ministry experience in diverse settings, both in the United States and in West Africa. He calls himself a professional encourager and loves to work with congregations in the holy conversations during strategic planning processes, as well as representing all of the traditional financial and leadership services of the Methodist Foundation. We just want you to know that uh, today we're recording this podcast from our respective homes as our offices are closed due to the coronavirus. Uh, And so discipleship ministry staff persons are all working remotely. So we want to say welcome to you, John, on this um, wonderful Thursday. Can you believe that the week is almost over again? (laughs) We are so delighted to have you with us today to talk about an article uh, that we saw on Facebook called When We Return. And you were having a fascinating discussion with many of us across the church. So after we, the team, uh, were discussing it, we thought others really should hear more about what we've heard. We've been moved. You were moved to write the piece. We've been moved by the piece. And so uh, we just wanted to share our enthusiasm. (laughs) Can you tell us why you felt compelled to write this? First of all, thank you for having me. It's such a blessing. I felt compelled to write this as part of a larger piece of work that the foundation is doing. We've been gathering leaders uh, from across the country for conversation. And we've been asking two main questions. What are you observing? And what are you learning? And the broader context was what kind of questions are going to be necessary for us to ask once we typical clergy have gotten beyond the stop on a dime and make something new technical stuff that, that had to be created when shelter in place started. Um, 
once we're over the technical frenzy of learning all this new stuff and begin to have some energy to um, think about the future, what kind of questions are going to be helpful? So that's what prompted, um, prompted this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'd have to say that uh, another uh, reason that I did it was really to express, to attempt at least to express enormous sympathy that I had for the thousands of clergy who are spending this kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, just having so quickly to make decisions about pretty essential things. Um, And so I am really, really deeply sympathetic, but I also wrote it out of the deep hope that um, those very same clergy having to make these quick decisions would have time later um, to stop long enough to ask what they were learning about themselves. Um, and what the coronavirus crisis was stirring up in them and in their people about what's essential in worship and essential in other parts of the life of the church. Mm -hmm. So, John, you began the conversation with um, talking about a second level, a level of courage and creativity. Um, I'm just curious, could you just say one word about that first level? Energy learning. Yeah. Yeah. The first level of learning is uh, how do you get Facebook Live to not look um, sideways? Um, so it's it, it's just the um, um, the fact that everything was so new. Now uh, I am really um, grateful for the people who just threw themselves into the learning. Um, especially into the the extraordinary issues of what does it mean to do music online Um, that's anything other than solo music. Uh, And so just an enormous uh, amount of sympathy. So that's what I was referring to as level one. How do we sort this out? Mm -hmm. And then level two, you move into the, the courage and creativity conversation and what it is that we are actually learning about uh, each of our ministries. So talk a little bit about um, the okay. conversations that you've been having. What are people saying that they've learned? Well, <laughs> um, some are doing the rageous thing of, of asking, um, is it true about me? now that I have this different view of myself as a leader of worship, is it true about me that I haven't done a whole lot of deep thinking about anything other than preaching? Mm. And the fact that we are having to decide what to do in this new format uh, has placed me in this situation of saying, so what's important, what's essential, Um, but not just that, why do we do it? (laughs) Um, and and some people are really uh, some of the people we talked to were dealing with personality issues so all of a sudden rather than being in a room who are sharing the experience with that and the focus is all over the room and the power is all over the room all of a sudden sudden now um, 
there's one face on the screen. And so some of the folks we talked to were having some real kind of um, dealing with my ego issues. Um, Some uh, facing the fact of preaching to an empty room uh, or doing anything uh, to an empty room was saying, oh my, this feels if preaching or worship leadership was already a lonely experience in some ways, my God, this is really lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how am I, how am I going to find a way uh, to feel the natural encouragement that I might feel when the, when the room um, has uh, folks reacting to what's going on. Um, and then, what is my real view of intimacy? <laughs> um, how, when you're speaking to a camera rather than um, to a room full of breathing people, uh, do I express or feel any intimacy? So those are some of the things that, um, that we were hearing um, in the course of that. You shared in one conversation that we had earlier a story uh, about a pastor recognizing um, that there were some bogus things about that ministry. Could you tell us that story? Yeah, well, so when we, when we asked that question, what are you learning? He said, well, I walked through the building and I saw uh, the amount of money we're spending uh, to talk about the varieties of worship here or the kinds of programs we have and realizing that um, we were spending more money on the mask than on the thing. Mm. Um, and uh, so he said, so we're discovering what's bogus. Uh, it was a really powerful statement. And I, I think one of the blessings of these conversations um, have been that kind of um, uh, confessional element that doesn't feel, um, this particular uh, pastor didn't feel like self-flagellating. It was, whoa, (laughs) Um, wow, this is a moment of discovery. God, uh, this is a little painful, but thank you for placing me in this so that I can learn something. In one of our conversations with some practitioners that we had uh, about a week and a half ago, um, one of the uh, pastors said, you know, we have turned our focus from the church building to kingdom building. And and that does seem like something that is um, tangible and different in this time. So what do you think God is doing in our midst? And what are you hearing other other people saying about what God is doing in this time of shelter in place. One of the, one of the pastors said, my goodness, this is pointing out how much of our time and resources we put into getting all the people in one room for one hour on one day. Mm -hmm. And so, and when you put it that way, uh, it appears that we're not an apostolic church. It appears that we're just a church that comes together to kind of um, baptize the values we already brought here or kind of gather around um, how to be safe. And so 
<laughs> if you don't, if you don't have that room where you gather uh, to get like-minded people together um, for uh, for an hour every Sunday to remind them why they like each other, uh, then all of a sudden um, <laughs> there are all sorts of all sorts of new ways to think about it and. And so uh, that was a remarkable statement that Pastor made. Mm. Yeah, it's like we're shedding a skin or we're pruning or, I mean, there's all kinds of metaphors you can bring into this. And uh, and that is, is scary, but it's also exciting when you can think about, we don't need that. that. That this time has shown us that we don't need that. And I think one of the questions too is how much have, the metrics that we use to measure our um, successfulness at discipleship making and being the church played into us having this false sense that we're now seeing um, being, um, you know, brought up at this time. The metrics question is coming up and the most poignant way it came up in recent conversations was a, um, a pastor who serves the satellite of a larger um, uh, congregation, and the satellite is in uh, a real high crime uh, neighborhood with lots of gang activity, and the church has been doing simply amazing thing. It was doing amazing things before the virus, but um, the crisis of the virus caused them to really... Um, take on a whole new level of engagement with neighbor, um, especially around food insecurity. But that pastor reported with real lament. Um, We have upped our game in being neighbor. uh, And all we're being asked to report is how many people uh, access the live stream. There's real sadness um, in that pastor's voice. Um, and so it's that's going to be an issue for us. I think too, though, that that there's a longing for that space and that gathering time, you know, that while we're apart. And 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 I hope, you know, you're not suggesting, John, that that we just kind of set that aside. And because of this new thing that we we've, we've discovered, how do we maintain a balance? I mean, once the doors open, once we're allowed to go back, so many questions may cause us to forget some of these larger things that, that you're asking us to consider. So so how do we do both? How, how do we create the space and welcome people back, but also still hold on to some of these larger issues about who we are as the church and, and how do we connect with our wider community? Yeah, I really appreciate that, Derek. And I'm, I'm certainly not in any way suggesting that uh, the buildings have become irrelevant. I think what we need to be watchful for now is when we re-enter our sanctuaries, are most of the questions we're asking about worship, do they, be, do they begin with how or do they begin with why? Mm-hmm. Because of all if we're asking is, how are we going to do it now? Um, we may not have seized uh, the opportunity uh, for asking, why is it that we do what we do? Um, For example, I do find uh, in our work at the foundation, we're often asking people to say, what is the difference that God is calling you to make? 
And usually they say, well, that's a metric about mission or about evangelism. And I say, well, it can be, of course, but, but what, if it's, what if it's a question for worship? Um, what is the difference God is calling us to make in the lives of our people when they gather? And how is someone different a year from now based on the fact that they worshiped here for a year? And so my profound hope is that in re-entering the sanctuary, we don't ask, how quickly can we get back to what we used to do? But rather, what is it that God's making possible for us as we return to our beloved space? What's different about us? Do we have different eyes to view the space that we're re-entering? Um, and, uh, there, there's some real difference of opinion in, in the folks we've been conversing with about how long that window for conversation will be open. Mm. Um, the, the degree to which nostalgia will really thunder back. Um, mm. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to anticipate that. I know nostalgia will play a role, um, but I'm, I'll really be looking for whether people's questions begin more with why than with how. One one of the conversations that I had with a group of pastors, there was one pastor who declared that now, even after the, the quarantine is over, the live stream is going to be central to what they do rather than an, an add-on. You know, when we say go back to the way it used to be, many churches did a live stream, but it was just an extra, you know, just for those who couldn't be there. Whereas for this period, it's the center, it's all we have. Um, and the the connections being made are different and broader, surprisingly so to many pastors. Uh, and so how do we continue to, to hold on to, to that, to that center um, of our community is not just those we see in front of us in this, in this room, but, but extends beyond. Yeah. Uh, in a conversation yesterday, uh, a pastor was saying we are reaching more people than we ever have. Um, and and she named uh, a variety of people that you can reach through technology that you can't reach in person. And, and so there are dynamic possibilities uh, for giving people access um, to worship. I just hope that we won't do an either or. Right. Um, and that no matter... Um, what the no matter whether um, the future of worship is leans more toward physical presence or more toward online presence, that we're using um, either the same or similar questions to ask why are we doing this? What's what's our purpose in this? What can God do through this? Um, and what's our desired outcome for doing it this way? Yeah, the church has been so focused on um, ministry for as opposed to ministry with. And the vital question, who really is our neighbor? Yeah. I, th I think this is a, an amazing moment for um, what we're simply calling walking alongside now. For, for so long, when a congregation gets insular, I've seen far too many who believe that there's no wisdom in the community. There's no, that God, 
the churches have a spirituality of place. In other words, if we're going to worship, it's going to be here. The only way I worship God is in row four of this room. <laughs> and with this view of the pulpit or this view of the table or with my spouse here or whatever. And uh, I, I pray that we're being called to be really, really careful because there's no reason to denigrate the spirituality of place. I mean, that's very, very powerful. Um, a, a location can be very powerful. We just can't get, we just can't make it into an idol. So, um, so if we're making the, the, the sanctuary into an idol, then we're much more likely to, for our ministry um, outside the walls, to be more based on pity or that our neighbor we define as someone who is deficient, mm -hmm. who lacks something that we can fill. We've got, we've got an extraordinary opportunity that's been given to us to ask not what does our neighbor lack, but what does our neighbor have? And what is it that um, we can learn together? I, I remember um, <laughs> when I started the work in West Africa, uh, it was an embarrassing realization that on the plane over there, my first time I said, oh my God, do I have a missiology? <laughs> do, do I? I mean, I'm eager and I want to help, but do have I asked why I'm doing this? And I'm I am joyful to 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 tell you that God helped me get one. Uh, and it was, I bring the fullness of myself to the table. You bring the fullness of yourself to the table, and we say to God, God, do something with us. Mm. I think that this is an extraordinary moment uh, for the life of the United Methodist Church um, to, to shift from ministry with, uh, to, from ministry for, to ministry with. And, you know, we all know that making that happen worship-wise has been a challenge uh, for uh, so many of our congregations. Really? <laughs> yeah. Sorry to be the king of understatement. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, one I'm of the things that I think that this time has shown us as well, speaking of uh, our neighbors, you know, um, how we have lifted up the the healthcare workers and the sanitation workers and these people that keep this country going, our communities going that have been um, invisible. Uh, and so that makes me think about in the church, how also a lot of times we overlook the invisible, what we call invisible people in our society. But at, this is such an opportune time to lift those people up. The migrant workers who continue to pick crops in the field so that they can make it to the grocery store for us to have. Um, can you say more about um, those kinds of conversations that you've had with folks. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, um, one of my heroes, Bishop Gregory Palmer, um, put it very, very elegantly. 
when he said we, we simply have to elevate the voices of those for whom struggle is a daily reality. And the way I'd want to put it is, if you're going to say with all your heart, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The people who've been through the valley of the shadow of death know how to say that. There's more, there's more to the phrase, I lack nothing, uh, when it's spoken by someone who's been through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, and so for those for whom uh, struggle is a daily reality, um, there is something uh, so, so deep um, for people of privilege to learn. Um, and so this is, this is another matter of uh, trusting God to show us a new way to engage neighbor. Um, so that... Some people say, oh, no, well, what does that mean? Because um, our, our church, they won't want to come into our building because it seems so fancy. Well, why does it have to be in the building? I mean, so, we're, so uh, why does worship have to be there? Why, why, why can't we sing and praise other, other places? Um, why can't our song travel outside the, the boundaries? I'm interested, John, you've spoken today and in, in, in your article as well about the window that may be closing quickly. And so I guess what I want to push you on is say, how can we prop it open? I mean, what what are the things that can keep us focused on some of these issues? Shifting from the how to the why uh, is is one of those things. But, but what else can help us overcome the you know, the daily stuff that we're going to have to do once we have to open up the buildings and clean them out again. But but to stay focused on this, what what can we grab a hold of that can energize us for that exercise? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because um, one of the really fabulous, really important, substantial um, pushbacks to what I posted on Facebook um, was a really trusted colleague who, um, who in essence was saying, oh, don't, oh, please. <laughs> and it was not lost on a lot of people that I posted that the day after Easter. And, you know, there's a part of me that, that when I realized I'd done that, I said, John, this was not good timing. Um, <laughs> here, here, here's this cadre of um, people completely exhausted from um, doing a week's worth of filming in two days or whatever had to happen. But um, that pastor's pushback to say um, this conversation is going to roll out over time. I'm certain, I'm absolutely certain that she's right. All I was trying to say in talking about the window was that we got to begin the conversation no matter how fast it goes. Um, the, if we don't say something like this crisis has given us an opportunity to talk, to rethink, to find new levels of trust with each other. What's the best way to start this conversation? It may take time. Um, and so one of the things I learned uh, from the Facebook post uh, was that even if it was important to say the conversation has to start, 
it was important to realize that in each congregation, that's going to roll out at a different uh, at a different pace. You know, there's always there's always the type A folks in the congregation that say, "Oh, I'm talking, no, 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 that's all navel gazing. We need action. We need to make decisions." Um, but what's going to? I'm convinced that one of the things that's going to be most important, because it appears that what we're headed into is not just a blizzard. You know, something where we hunkered down for a few days and wrote it out. And it's not even a winter mm-hmm. where we know there's going to be an, a, a definitive end to the season. Um, this is something beyond that. And because it is, um, we've got to pace our conversation and uh, we're going to need very, very high degrees of trust with each other. And the only way to get that kind of trust is with conversation. And the, 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 what we often do at the foundation is to, is to begin a conversation by saying, you know, the good news here is we don't have to make a decision today. That really changes the conversation when you say we don't have to make a decision today. What we need to do is listen, uh, listen for what God's doing. Um, So one of the big changes of that leaders can do in changing the question is our typical questions are, what are we meant to do next? What's coming next? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that focuses on us. What are we supposed to do? And the, the single most important change in the question we can make is to say who we're, who we're asking the question to. God, what, what are you opening up to us? And I've said often to, to uh, colleagues, that we're not unable to do the work of discernment in the church. It's a, it's a biblical mandate and it's a deep part of our tradition. But I think the fact is that in many congregations we're unpracticed Mm. in discernment because we jump right to planning. This is the danger I think coming up that we will jump back into planning um, and say that we had the conversation we needed to have. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so concerned also in, uh, on the strength of that about our souls and um, the soul conversation um, rarely comes up in talking about return as opposed to what are we going to do about how we take the offering and what are we going to do about where the choir sits and what are we going to do about how many services and what are we going to do about the kitchen and what are we going to do about how we greet, you know, that um, I think the level of depression and grief and loss uh, is, is one that is going to be so critical, not only with each other, not only with attending to Um, the needs of neighbors, but attending to the needs of those who are in the club, (laughs) you know, because emotionally um, they they haven't really attended to their hearts and their minds. They've just been frustrated about things that are not the same, you know, so. I'm so glad you said that, Cynthia, because, you know, a lot of of, uh, musicians and uh, all sorts of worship leaders and pastors are are trying to solve. Okay, so what do you do with song? 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm aware, uh, one of the churches, um, I, I, I watch um, different um, services just to learn and to be in solidarity. Mm-hmm. And the one I most recently watched, the, the pastor began by picking up a simple candle and saying, would you pick up your candles and light them um, so that we can join in this act? And I realized um, when the broadcast was over that it was possible that the pastor's invitation that we take some time to breathe um, and to think of those who joined with whom we were joined together watching the broadcast. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, okay. So it's hard to figure out how to sing, but it's not hard on a broadcast to say to people, Hmm. would you do heartbeat? Hmm. Would you tap? Would you tap heartbeat on, on your chest? Hmm. Let's do that together. Um, I would, this is <laughs> this is a whole new chance to think about ritual. Wow. Because um, ritual, I mean, and I have no idea. I mean, it's not like I have some long list of what this is going to look like, but what a fun conversation that could be. Mm-hmm. How rich could it be? Mm-hmm. I ask, what does ritual look like yeah. uh, in this new context? Yeah, and, and and observing the passages in people's lives, right, right, and and so, what do we what do we do with those who are so tied to um, tradition, particularly the Methodist tradition for worship, um, the ways in which contexts understand uh, worship to to be useful, to be vital, to speak to those soul matters. Um, you know, I, I just contend that we keep asking the wrong questions and our souls suffer um, because we haven't really attended to the main matter, which is how it is that we are connecting with God first and then with each other. So. It is a. I mean, it's. Yeah, I mean, it's an extraordinary uh, opportunity that's before us. Um, so, I, I and maybe maybe in the category of soul care, um, how is it um, that we invite people not to walk around their grief, uh, but to walk through it. How can a pastoral leader, you know, because we've got this culture where you turn on a screen and it says there's a solution to everything. Uh, There's a medicine that'll take care of it. There's a consumer product that'll make you feel better than you used to. mm -hmm. All your joy and happiness can be bound up in this thing you eat. (laughs) Um, And, um, and so, so then because this is the overlay and that's what's on the screen that we're watching um, 10 hours a day. Then all of a sudden, if we're, if we simply want to say to God, I feel so sad. Mm. 
And then there's there's this voice in the background that says, well, get a pizza. <laughs> um, and and so. So what an opportunity for pastoral leadership to say, we know that the greatest stories of the Bible, Exodus and Resurrection, we know the ending. And the ending is spectacular. But the ending is made spectacular by walking through um, the, the hard, walking through the unknown, walking through the perilous, walking through the painful, and in that, seeing God at every step of the way. Um, it's almost like we're giving up the power, the native power of our own story. Mm. So if we're not helping our people walk through um, their grief, it's like we're saying you can have resurrection without death, which we can't pull off as hard as we try. Hmm. <laughs> the culture tries. I, I think that's what <laughs> yeah. we're surrounded by, and so we buy into it sometimes, too. I, I asked a group of pastors, you know, when when the doors open and we come back, is that going to be a celebration or is that going to be a lament? And their answer was yes. <laughs> and I think that's what you're pointing to, you know, yeah. that we need, you know, Isaiah 43 says, don't remember what passed, but we have to bring with us some of the past in order to embrace what's new. We have to live in both of those. Uh, and I think that your invitation is for us to to do it mindfully, to pay attention to what's going on and not just walk into it and let the details of the moment take over. You're asking us to to examine our ministries again. It's a it's another Linton experience as we return. Yeah. Where are we? Who are we? What are we about? Um, are some of those fundamental questions that we may feel like we've answered, but everything's new. We have to start all over again. And, and yeah. I hear that's what I hear you asking us to do. Is that a summation of of kind of the approach? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a great uh, leader named Peter Gardner says that the job of a the job of a great leader is to give people a better story than the one they're currently living in. Mm-hmm. And um, we've got a great story, um, but the the great story um, does involve. Uh, does involve the walk through the hard um, and uh, and um, so in addition to to the beautiful th- themes of death and resurrection the job of a leader is to point away from a scarcity narrative in which uh, a lot of our churches are living we don't have enough oh I've worked with churches that could take could take a Bible story that's about superabundant grace and make it into a scarcity story, like the feeding of the 5,000. Well, we're doing the best we can with the little we've got. Um, and so so the job of, of great leaders going back into the sanctuary is not, isn't it great um, to be back in the ultra-familiar, though it'll be lovely. It's, isn't it great um, that 
our abundant and wondrous God has brought us to a new chapter. Um, and here we are. What are we making of it now? Who is God calling us to be now that we are back together? That's a heavy load for a pastor. Who 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 actually holds up the arms of the the pastor? Who is it? I mean, that conversation is, I know, ruminating in the hearts and minds of pastors and leaders. And oh gosh, yes, that. it's a you know, it's a load right now. So. What do you what do you suggest to to our listeners right now who might be those leaders, pastors? Uh, how it is that they don't try to shoulder that burden alone, uh, because that's what we do. You know, we walk into the booth and put on our red S on our chest, and you know, we're, and so we're out to save the world alone, um, which is not at all. It's, it's so uh, important, Cynthia. One of our conversation partners um, was pointing directly to this um, in saying, and then of course, the ministry that he's a part of is really in need of, of cash. I mean, there's no question that, that financial sustainability is an issue for the ministry. Um, but he said, the truth is I need people more than money. And what he meant was, I am shouldering the vision of this ministry by myself, and it's my own fault. Yes. Um, And so I am seeing God calling me to the role of empowerer. Mm. Um, How I need people to steward the vision of this congregation along with me. Uh, I I need to draw on the energy that they naturally bring. Mm-hmm. I have been shortchanging what God has been doing in the lives of my leaders. And, and I, I've got to, I got to share this power. Mm. Um, and so if we can see it as a power issue, which it sometimes mm-hmm. is, uh, it's, you know, this is not a zero sum game, you know, <laughs> the more people are sharing a compelling vision, the more possibilities there are. And and if the all of the minds are like minds, then how do you get to that new thing? Right. And uh, I, I'm just I'm just thinking about the spirit of welcome that really um, moves to the doors and. Uh, not beyond when some of the help, some of the 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 strength that will help shoulder really lies outside of those doors, as Diana um, so so lovingly um, um, alluded to, related to those essential workers, right? I mean, they some of those folks could be um, a major force inside of the four walls um, if, if we saw them as being useful and essential people, right? Not just the tasks that they perform. What would that be like? <laughs> and with, with a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience in, um, in reinventing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, another, I mean, surviving is reinventing every day. It's asking, what is it, what do I need for today to 
to survive. Wow. So John, is the is the the language of return what we want here? Hmm. Wow. Let's let's put that on the list of great questions. <laughs> um, if return um, is to be glued to a past. Um, <laughs> I remember Martin Marty, the church historian, uh, used to say, the truth is that the golden age was really pale yellow. And uh, um, so if, if return means uh, to just return, to, to um, take up all the former practices and values without examination, then um, then return might be a, a, an unhealthy, uh, um, maybe passing over and coming back. Mm. <laughs> because we will have new eyes. And we have to use them. Um, this is a, this is a great terminology um, by a Roman Catholic missiologist named Anthony Gittins, and he he uses the triad: homeland, wonderland, newfound land. When in where homeland is where our values were formed, where our assumptions were built, and wonderland is that place into which we're thrown where everything is called by a different name and the keys don't necessarily open the doors we're approaching. And so our choice in Wonderland is either to find out what the new language is or get nowhere. And so Gittin says, so God takes us on this journey that starts in homeland and God takes us. I mean, this is a beautiful image takes us to Wonderland so we can have the experience of asking, <laughs> am I willing to adopt the vocabulary of this place? Am I willing to, to learn the lessons of this place? Uh, and then, then in the, this crowning glory of the image, he says, then God picks us up and takes us to newfound land, which is actually homeland. Mm. But we've got new eyes. Mm. Um, and so I wonder whether um, one of the most helpful things we can do is to ask, how are our eyes different? Mm-hmm. And, and that's just another, another version of what did we learn? What did we learn about ourselves? We're also beginning to hear uh, from, from some of the scientists and researchers that there may be another wave this fall. We may be back here again that we get released but it may come again so in other words we we've got that journey to travel maybe multiple times before we're done here and so to prepare ourselves for the dispersion and then the gathering together again you know might be a way of keeping the the questions in front of us yes so what happens from here well uh, i can only report um the, the, oh, wow, what are the adjectives? It's hard to 
to talk about work in these days as being joyful, purposeful, obviously. Mm-hmm. We hope joyful in retrospect. Um, but but the, the crucial work of, of the coming days is that central question, God, what's the difference you're calling us to make um, using the eyes that we have now? Um, so it's just so different than, than um, <laughs> who's going to play the piano when we get back. <laughs> but it will be hard to avoid those questions. I mean, we got, somebody's got to step up. We've got to do those things. And so, so thank you, John, for helping us think that, that we can think on two levels. We've got the detail we've got to do, but we've also got to keep these things open. I, I think that's the challenge. It's always been the challenge, but in a mm-hmm. sense, we have new eyes for it, as you were saying before at this time. So whatever comes, our, our prayer and our hope is that God will be with us and that we'll be able to see God at work. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not see it? Let's open our eyes and let's let's grab a hold of that. We certainly appreciate the conversation. We appreciate the the article that you wrote that that got us thinking about all of these things. And not every question has been answered, <laughs> but a lot of questions have been raised and more questions will come. So we appreciate the time that you've given to us today, uh, but also through the article. Thank you, John, for, for sharing today. Thanks so much. It's a blessing. And before we um, say goodbye to our audience, uh, John, would you just say one word about um, the Methodist Foundation and how it is that uh, people can reach out to you beyond this conversation? EMF, the Methodist Foundation of Texas and New Mexico, is um, much more than a financial institution. It's also a leadership institution, and we're attempting simply to be a platform for conversation. And if if we can help in any way to host um, a conversation about what's ahead, we, we want to be able to do that. And uh, so putting Texas Methodist Foundation into a browser will get you to us, and mm-hmm. we'd love to have conversations. Well, we appreciate all of the conversations that we have had in the past as Discipleship Ministries with the Methodist Foundation and for the ways in which you have been an incredible conversation partner. Again, to our audience, we thank you for joining us today. Um, We hope that this has been a helpful conversation to you. If you go to our website, umcdiscipleship.org, you can find John's article, Uh, posted on the site. Um, Remember that there is more information around the ideas of worship and um, ideas around how it is that online worship uh, has changed our lives and some few ideas about how that uh, might be navigated in your own context. Uh, So friends, until next time, We'll be praying for you and with you and your congregations, and we pray God's continued blessings on your worship ministry as you continue to make disciples for the transformation of the world. Stay safe. God bless. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.